kind of want to start off, this is not the bulk of my message, but I want to start off talking about your attitude and perspective. How many of you know that it's um, the right attitude that determines your altitude? It's having the right attitude that will determine how you can navigate through life's storms, right? It's, it's, it's being a glass half full type of person versus being a glass half empty type of person. Are, are you with me? So I could say, you know, we had that hurricane um, recently and our power went out. And I could sit in the dark and say, oh, our power was out. We ain't got nothing. I ain't got no lights. We're going we to be without woe is me. Or I could say, well, this is what we did in my house because I have two small kids. Hey, guys, this is going to be fun. Let's get the flashlights. And we, um, you know, had the flashlights going in there. We made our own strobe lights. And I'm in the background like. <laughs> and, you know, we're in the kitchen just dancing. You see, it's our attitude that determined how we navigated through that storm. Are, are you with me? And so, like I said, this isn't the bulk of my message, but I want to start here because if you don't have the right attitude, what you'll do is when storms come in your life is you'll panic. You'll be like the disciples. Master, master, wake up. Don't you care that we're going to perish? The right attitude is knowing who God is and knowing that he's faithful to perform his word. So when the right attitude springs up, the right attitude leads you to say, peace be still. Or get out of my way, Satan. Or to trust in God's word and to trust him through that process. Amen? So um, we're not going to go there just yet because it's a lot of reading. But let's, let's start off by talking about Joseph. Y'all know who Joseph is. If you read Genesis 37 on to about Genesis 44 and, and even beyond that. Um, for those of you who don't know Joseph, I'm going to tell you about Joseph. Joseph was a young man that had a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. Y'all know who that is? That's Martin Luther the King. Come on, young folk, get some education. So listen, he had a dream. God said in this dream, you are going to, your brother, excuse me, are going to serve you. And so Joseph, he made the mistake, y'all, of believing what God said about him. And not everybody is going to believe what God says about you or what he promises you. He goes to his brothers and he says, guess what, y'all? Essentially, y'all going to bow down to me. Y'all going to serve me. And they didn't like that very much. Matter of fact, Joseph um, was considered um, their father's favorite son, so they already didn't like him. So now he comes, and he's like, y'all going to serve me. So one day the brothers are out working in the field, and um, Joseph goes out to find them, to check on them. And they say, you know what, here comes Joseph. Here comes that dreamer, the one who thinks he's better than us. Let's kill him. And their brother Reuben says, no, we're not going to kill him. Let's just throw him in this pit. And they eventually they sell him into slavery. Are you with me so far? Okay, they sell him into slavery. He ends up in Potiphar's house in Egypt. Potiphar is the captain of the guard, captain of Pharaoh's guard, captain of Pharaoh's army. So he's a very powerful man. But right away, he notices that there's something on this young man. And he puts him in charge of everything in his household. In Potiphar's household, it began to prosper. Okay? And then, not too long after that, the anointing starts to look real good to Potiphar's wife. And she comes and she's like, Joseph, come lie with me. Come lie with me. Y'all want to know what Joseph looked like? He's about five, five and a half. He wore these red glasses. He was bald. He had an excellent spirit. And Joseph said, you know, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to sin against God. I'm not going to sin against my master. Well, that wasn't enough for her. So eventually she accuses him of rape. 
and he's thrown into prison. Let's pause right there. Here's a man who has a dream, who believes what God says about him, chooses to act on what he was told by God. Are you with me? His behavior lined up with the promise that God gave him. But then they plot to kill him and they throw him in a pit and they put him in slavery. And now he's miles and miles and miles from home and he's accused of rape and now he's in prison. But that did not stop his thinking. His thinking still calls him to be a leader in the prison. Somebody said Joseph was a snitch. No, he won't. Listen, he was put in charge of the other prisoners. And then one day he meets a, a, a baker and the butler and he interprets their dreams. And their dreams proved to be true because the baker, you know, it was interpreted that he was going to lose his life. And, and he did. But the butler, he said, look, you're about to restore back to, to the palace. When you get there, remember me. He said, I got you, dog. How many people said they're going to they look out for you? And then they, some of y'all was like, I'm going to look out when I win this lotto. But no, praise God. Don't be doing that, y'all. That's, that's not for us. But notice this. The uh, butler, he forgot to mention Joseph. And Joseph, his attitude, it never wavered on what God said about him. He didn't become disgruntled. He didn't go, woe is me. He, you know what? I believe the report of the Lord. And so his attitude determined his altitude. Literally, it determined where he was going, which was where? Back to the palace. And you guys know the story. He ended up being the second man in charge. He ended up being Pharaoh's, uh, or Egypt, excuse me, prime minister. There was only one man more powerful in all of Egypt than Joseph, and that was Pharaoh himself. And y'all know the story that his brothers did indeed eventually bow down to him. Just want to go out on me. And what I love about that, seriously, literally, Joseph's life, it wasn't void of circumstance, of, of miscircumstances. It wasn't void of storms. It wasn't void of chaos. You know, and even Jesus, you know, Jesus got baptized and God spoke, said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then straight from there, he went into the wilderness 40 years and went through it, was tempted. So just because you hear from God and then something happens, is, it does not mean that you did not hear from God. There's something he's working out in you. And we'll get to that. John 16, 33. Let's go there if you have your Bible, if you're taking notes. It says, these things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You can be of good cheer because Jesus overcame the world. He overcame the world because of you. And so life isn't fair. And this is getting to what I really want to talk about, which is inconveniences. It's creating a culture of inconveniences. Sometimes life happens to you and it inconveniences you with these hardships and these hard places and these desert and wilderness experiences. And it's something to be learned in those inconveniences. And then later on in this message, we're going to get to how God wants you to inconvenience yourself sometimes for the sake of sharing his gospel, for the sake of making him known. Amen? Y'all can talk back to me. It's going to be all right. We're going to get through it. So uh, a few weeks ago, I had the opportunity of leading a group of fantastic world changers down to Wallace, North Carolina. And um, Wallace, North Carolina is about 30 minutes from Wilmington, and they got pretty they were, they were hit pretty hard with the, uh, with the hurricane, and we got to work in a home, and the black mold was about 
six feet high on the wall. It was, it was taller than me. So some of us worked in the home, and we demoed this home, and others of us, we worked in the distribution center, organizing and receiving and unpacking and moving. It was hard work no matter where you serve. But what was a blessing to me was not so much that I got to go in there and knock down walls and, and, and get debris in my eyes and stuff like that. What was a blessing to me was the time we got to spend with this family. We met this family, the, the Harold family. Uh, names, Frankie and Melba. And then their best friend was also there with them. Her name was uh, Brenda. And it was cool. Yeah, we got to knock down some stuff, real, real, real manly stuff that I don't normally get to do, you know. Um, <laughs> I got to affirm my masculinity for a week, y'all. <laughs> And but it was really cool because we got to have these moments where we just sat outside and just talked and listened to them and, and, and ministered to them and, and cry with them and pray with them. And what blew my mind was they were literally dealing with the aftermath of life's inconvenience. But their attitude just blew me away. She says, Melba, you know what? No matter what I see, we're blessed. And, and, and they were very familiar with their neighbors. And she said, you know, there's a lady over here who's doing the same thing in her house, but she's just been diagnosed with cancer. You know what? I'm blessed. There's a couple over here, they're an elderly couple, and they have no family. They have no children. They are the last of their family line. You know what? I'm good. I'm blessed. I don't know if I'm going to sell my house. I don't know if I'm going to fix it back up and move back into it. I don't know. But what I do know, these are her words, is that God is faithful. Is that God is good. And that blew me away. And I, I mean, I remember even one day on, on one of the last days that I was there, um, somebody who was with us, they put on some worship music. And that was cool in itself because I didn't really know this gentleman that well, but I got to really hang out with him and get to know his heart. He put on some worship music. And Frankie, who was a very quiet guy, he observed us real good the first day. Real good. Real good. And, um, but we were, you know, taking down walls, whatever, and all of a sudden, Mr. Frankie goes, hallelujah! And I'm like, what in the world? Shoot. You see, what that showed me is you can't keep a praiser down. Even in life's inconveniences, in life's circumstances, if you have the right attitude, your right attitude will lead you to praise. And if you learn to praise God, the peace of God will enter your situation. Y'all, that blew me away. Because it's easy for me to come up here and preach to you if life has never happened to me. It's easy for them to one day stand up and say, you know, this and this and this and other, but life has never happened. But they, these people, life happened to them. And how many of us have had life happen to us? All of our stories aren't the same, but there's one common denominator. If you went in that situation with Jesus, you came back out of that thing even more affirmed, right? So on the 31st of this month, October, my firstborn child, Grayson, not Levi, he will be five in heaven. So I'm going to share with you all some points, four points or so, that I've learned when life inconvenienced me the most. So let me just kind of give you the story. And listen, this isn't meant to make you cry or it is make you sad because I have the peace of God. I have the joy. These are just things. I'm, I'm, I miss him. I love him. I know who he's with. He's better off with Jesus than he is with me. Y'all better pray for my other two because they're the ones who got to put up with my flesh. But I remember it. So, you know, about five years ago, y'all, I used to be an uh, elementary music teacher. And I remember it was a teacher work day. And we were um, about to get something to eat for lunch. And I realized that I said, oh, you know what? My wife has a doctor's appointment and we're done with the teacher work day stuff. Let me go surprise my wife. And so I pulled up and she was so surprised to see me. 
And we go in there, and they do all the normal stuff, checking everything, and everything was good. So, and then the doctor goes, oh, wait, I almost forgot. Let me check the heartbeat. And so she puts the heart monitor up to my wife, and then she pauses, and I'm thinking, well, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? You're already on edge anyway when you're having a baby because you want everything to go just perfectly. And so she paused, and I'm like, what's wrong? And she said, I cannot find a heartbeat. Check it again. I'm sorry, I can't find a heartbeat. I said, I'm sorry, will you give my wife and I a minute? Will you just leave the room for a second? So she left the room, and in the room, I grabbed my wife's hands, and we just began to declare life. We began to, to not be moved by what we see. I'm not going to go into all that, because you get, you get where I'm going with We believe God. We confessed what we wanted to see, and we believe that we had already um, had it. Doctor walks in. She checks again. I say, well, check again. We probably did this about five, six times, and I'm not lying. She said, I tell you what, let's go down the hall on this big, machine in this room that's just for things like that and we will definitely be able to confirm or deny um that the baby's heart is beating so we go down there and and it was just crazy i just remember walking down these halls and everybody it's like everybody knew what was going on oh they're going down that hallway so people just you know just started looking at us it was just really really weird really sp- spooky so we get down there and they yeah i'm sorry yeah the baby's heart is not beating so of course, through all this, we're texting our parents and all that. So they meet us at the doctor's office. And just all week, y'all, was just, and it was just a week full of just prayer and worship and, and, and just believing God. And so I want to go to this first scripture in Romans 8, verse 31 and 32. It says, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son but delivered him for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Listen, God is committed to the process, y'all. Anybody who would give up their own son for you is committed to the process. So when life's inconveniences happen, you got to realize that it's God who's for you, not against you. He's not bringing the inconvenience to harm you or to hurt you. He has plans for you, plans to give you an expected end, a great outcome. Amen. And I remember what happened is people, people, people just came out of the woodwork to just love on us. People that I just wouldn't expect to come and love on us. They did. And I'm trying to tell you, man, people just brought fried chicken. I ate so much fried chicken that week. I don't, I don't know what to do. And I'm going to tell you, the best fried chicken that I learned, y'all, is fried chicken that comes from a gas station. Can I get an amen? That and the potato wedges alone will keep you from a gas station food, you know? And so I just, I just you know, and for the, for the sake of time, I'm going to move a little faster because I'm, I'm talking a lot. But I learned that, you know, that not only is he for us, but he's with us. Um, I'm going to read to you Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 in the Amplified Version. God was with me. He says, let your character or moral disposition be free from love of money, including greed, avarice, lust, and craving for earthly possessions, and be satisfied with your present circumstances and with what you have. For he God himself has said, I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake, nor let you down. Relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. No matter what's going on in your life, you have to partner your faith with the word of God, y'all, and believe what the word says. In that moment, It doesn't matter what you feel. You have to go with what you know. And what I know is the word of God. 
and his presence. I mean, even in Exodus 33, when Moses was meeting with God and he says, Lord, God, I don't want to leave this place except your presence go with us. How would they know that your presence, how would they know that you sent us unless your presence is with us? See, the presence of God is the distinguishing fact to let you know that God is with you. So if you are in a season, if you are in a dry place, if you are experiencing life inconveniences and circumstances and you don't feel the presence of God, get in it. Get in the presence of God. For some of you, you just put on your favorite song. For some of you, you just open up the word of God and you feel his presence. Listen, it's in these, situ- it's in these seasons, y'all, where you won't feel like getting in the presence of God. It's in these seasons where you won't feel like opening up your word. But it's the times that you don't feel like doing these things is the very time that you need it the most. You have to build yourself up with the word of God. You have to get in the presence of God. You have to get in your prayer closet because sometimes you got to convince yourself. Sometimes you have to encourage yourself that God is with you, that God is for you, that he will not leave you, that he will not forsake you. You got to be fully persuaded that God is at work in your life. You have to be fully persuaded of what the word of God says. You have to be. You have to be. Glory to God. Man. Here's another thing. You have to know that what you see, it will not last. It gets better. It gets better. Like I said, my son would be five this year, but it gets better. It gets better. And I'm not saying that Levi or Ryder have replaced Grayson. Matter of fact, we teach them about Grayson. There's a picture of Grayson in the house. And Levi say, oh, that's me. We go, no, that's not you. This is Grayson. Let me tell you about Grayson. We were in Virginia this week. We visited his gravesite, and Levi couldn't comprehend everything. But here's what he knew. He says, <laughs> we're at the cemetery. He said, I don't see no baby. That's what he said. Where's God? I, don't, I don't see no. He like, nobody here. That's what he said. Ain't nobody here, daddy. I said, man, he, he, he's right here. You know, here's the tombstone. And he said, I don't know. And then, you know, my wife, she's so good. You know, she's, I pick on my wife, but I love my, I really do love my wife. And she says, listen, man, when you die, if you know Jesus, you go to heaven. Grayson is with Jesus. So we get back to Keisha's parents' house, and he walks in the door. He goes, I saw Grayson. Well, I didn't see Grayson. He said, but, you know, Grayson. And he was with Jesus. He went up. That's what he said. She, and I'm like, this is, this is good. But listen, 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, since we consider and look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen, for the things that are visible are temporal, but the things that are invisible are deathless and everlasting. Anybody ever been driving and caught in a rainstorm? Let me give you a good example of this. What you see is not what you need to be concerned with. What you need, what you need to be concerned with is what's happening behind the scene. Matter of fact, when all hell is breaking loose in your life, you need to be concerned. <laughs> I feel the presence of God. You need to be concerned with what God is doing behind the scenes. And that thing will get you excited. So if you've ever been on the road and it's raining cats and dogs and you just can't see, and you pull out your phone and you look at the weather app and you say, look, man, I'm going from Raleigh to Nightdale. And I'm looking up in Nightdale, it's sunny and it ain't raining. But where I am, all I can see is rain. What, do you just pull over? No, you, you, where I'm going is much better. It don't look like this. So you keep that thing going. You ha- may have to make some adjustments, like your attitude. There, that word is again. But you keep going because you know that when you get there, it won't look like where you've been. It won't look like what you are currently in. And then here's the, the last thing I learned in that season is that, you know what, I am more than a conqueror, y'all. Y'all know the scripture. It says, 
we are more than conquerors, and in him we gain a surpassing victory because we are loved. Listen, God wants to do some things in you, and you have to know that everything in your life that led up to that point, he has prepared you for that point. I'll say that again. Everything in your life up to that point has prepared you for that moment. So it will not kill you unless you let it. It will not destroy you unless you let it. How do you combat these thoughts and insecurities and anxieties? You do it with the word of God. Get your praise on. Get in the word. Amen. So let me give you some things to do while you in life's conveniences. Those first four are things that I just learned and I just want to share with you. But here's the first thing you do when life inconveniences you. First thing, you count it all joy. You count it all joy. James 1, 2 through 4 says, consider it, this is the Amplified Version, consider it wholly joyful, my brethren, whenever you are enveloped in or encounter trials of any sort or fall into various temptations. Be assured and understand that the trial and proving of your faith bring out endurance and steadfastness and patience. But let endurance and steadfastness and patience have full play and do a thorough work so that you may be people perfectly and fully developed with no defects, lacking in nothing. You should just tell your neighbor, what I'm going through is only going to make me better. That's what you just, just go ahead and tell them. Just go, just go ahead and do it. What, what you're going through is going to make you better. That's, you, and you got to believe that. Listen, in, in verse 3, he says that, number one, it's approving of your faith. You see, when we were going through all that with Grayson, I didn't stay home and stay in the bed. Didn't want to get up and go to church. Really didn't even want to sit down. I still came up here and I led worship. I might not have led the songs because I might have just would have been, you know, a, a mess. But, you know, I, I, I got on that keyboard and I still lifted my hands. We're singing songs like, you're a good, good father. It's who you are. And everything around me is challenging that truth. I remember one Sunday I was leading worship, and this was maybe a year after Grayson had passed, and we were singing... Um, uh, this song and the, the bridge of the song is um, when I don't understand, I'll choose you when I don't understand, I'll choose you, God. And I lost it. Just stop playing it. The, <laughs> the singers looked at me in the band, looked at me like, what are you doing? I'm like, yo, I just, excuse me, man. I just I just lost it. And so, again, I'm confronted even in that moment while I'm leading worship. I was confronted with those thoughts of you don't understand. And you want to not believe the word of God. You want to quit on God. But there's something you got to get a hold on deep down inside of you that chooses to believe the word of God. That chooses to believe the word of God. That chooses to believe the word of God. I don't care what it looks like. You got to choose to believe what God said. If he promised you that your husband is going to start coming to church, you might as well just start saving a seat beside him. If he promised you that your children are going to come back to the Lord, you may as well just praise him and act like it's already happened. If he promised you that somebody is going to be delivered of cancer, whether you see it or whether you don't see it, you have to make up in your mind that we're going to choose to believe what God said. Man, I wish people would just choose to believe what God said. Oh, I'm not even going to make it to the second part of this whole thing. Mirror didn't see my notes. We just, we just going to stay right here. And what happens when life inconveniences you, y'all? Because I'm coming up on the 5th, and, and I'm probably preaching to myself. I'm probably going to need it on Wednesday. Shoot me a text. Shoot me an email. Say, homeboy, you all right? Because I know Wednesday might be hard. It might be okay day. It might be hard. I don't know. 
Keep my wife in prayer. Keep me in prayer. But listen, if the enemy can get you to buy into whatever method or product he is selling that does not line up with the word of God, he wins. You lose. Matter of fact, the Bible says, for I reckon that the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. It gets better. And, what, and, and so what, what does that mean, Joshua, the glory of the Lord? Listen, here's this, I, love, I love to say it like this. It's when God manifests the beauty of his holiness. It's when he decides to go public what he's doing. It's when the glory of God shows up. It's when you say, look, that won't nothing but God because I couldn't do that. Nobody else could do that. It's how you come up on the, on the anniversary of loved ones that have gone on to be with the Lord. It's how you, when you think back of things that didn't quite go the way you thought they would, and, and you say, but you know what? God showed up in my situation, and he did it with power. He did it with peace. He did it with gentleness, and he loved me through it. Man, but look, it's a process. It says, but let endurance and steadfast and patience have full play and do a, third, a thorough work. God wants to work something in you. And many times we fall short and we remain people with these, of defects. So, listen, I want to talk, just, just go with me. I want to talk to you about a moment about a perm, the perm. I know depending on your nationality, a perm might not do the same thing. But I can talk about what it does for a black woman. Why? Because my wife is black. And so is my sister, so is my mama, so is my grandmama. And my grandmama or my mama, they would give my sister a perm or something like that. And here's how a perm works for a black woman. It straightens your hair. That's the end result, okay? So let's talk about the process. You wash your hair, you, you condition it, right? You rinse it all out, whatever. And then what happens is they sit you in this chair, and they, uh, <laughs> they put these, these plastic gloves on you, and they apply this perm. It looks, like, it looks like a cream. And they put it all over your head. And you think, that's cool. I'm about to be beautiful. Not done yet. What happens is that perm begins to burn. And the longer you sit under that burn, the straighter your hair will be. Am I lying? Am I lying? The longer you sit under that. <laughs> Somebody say, I got a perm. And you go, well, your hair's still curly. Well, they didn't stay, stick to the process. They didn't stick with the process. But it's a process. It, the longer you stay under that perm or and it burns. I mean, they, they sitting there and they got newspapers and magazines and they fanning and they doing everything. And, and, and whoever's doing their hair, they come through and they smack their hands and they say, don't do that. You're going to mess that perm up. You're going to mess it up. They did not let that perm have a thorough work. Okay. Am I, I'm telling the truth. I'm telling the truth. Since then, a lot of people, a lot, a lot of African-American women choose to go natural. So this may not, everybody may not know about this, but I remember I remember when my mom and my sister, you know, when they used to get their hair done, and they would go in looking one way, and they'd come out. I'm like, yeah, you look all right. You look good. You look good. And so what happens is they, if you were not committed to that process, if you were not committed to the burn, if you were not committed to what the perm wanted to do, the end result wouldn't be the same for everybody. Everybody in life, you, you won't be spared inconveniences. You won't be spared hardships. You won't. Jesus says you're going to have them, John 16, 33. You're going to have them. 
But sometimes you just got to count it all joy because, you know, when it's over, you won't look the way, coming out, you won't look the way you did before you went in. Amen? Amen? Listen. I'm just going to skip it. I'm just going to skip it. Let me just say this. I don't want to be the dead horse, but let me say this. In um, Psalms 22.3, this is the, the Passion Translation. It says, yet I know that you are most holy. It's undisputable. You are God enthroned, surrounded with songs living among the shouts of praise of your princely people. Listen, God is where, God is everywhere. I'm not saying that he's not everywhere, but he's where the praise is. Most definitely, he's where the praise is. He's enthroned in the praises of his people. So when you're inconvenienced by life and these hardships and everything, and it just seems like, there's no peace. Listen, get your praise on. Get your praise on. Get your praise on. Turn on your favorite CD, whatever. Matter of fact, you should just go ahead and download Frontline of Victory, Great is Your Love. Because there is nothing that can stand between us. Listen, and just worship and let God show up. Because when, where the presence of God is, his peace has to follow. His peace has to follow. I remember the day of going into that hospital so that uh, we could deliver Grayson as a, as a, you know, as a stillborn. And again, he sent his people. He sent his presence. It was a whole entourage of us. It was probably like 25, 30 of us in that hospital room, y'all. And um, every so often somebody would say, hey, let's pray some more. And then somebody would say, hey, let's, let's worship some more. Let's sing this song. Let's sing this song. And um, I remember one time my wife just said, look, y'all, that's enough singing. That's enough prayer. Because I'm convinced that what God wants to happen will happen. And I have peace about that. And when mama said that, we was like, okay, shoot, man. Let's, let's shit on them. Somebody said, scandal about to come on TV. And they, and they... I remember that. Listen, listen, listen. Y'all are holy. I'm trying to be like y'all when I grow up. Listen, I rem- I, I'm going to tell you how I remember that. Because Grayson was born at 10, 19. And at that time, Scandal had just came out. And it came on at 10 o'clock. That's how, that's how I remember it. And that's how I know Sc- it was Scandal. And, um, yeah, man. And, I re- and, so I, and so I remember. Listen, listen. And so they, they come in and they, they check my wife to see how far she's dilated. Because when you're going for a stillbirth. And like I said, we were 37 weeks when we found out that, you know, it, it, like the baby could have been here. At any moment, we were that far along. And the nurse came in, and she checked to see how far my wife had dilated. And they said, oh, no, the baby's, you know, Grayson's coming right now. And they're giving her medicine. So her body was just pushing the baby out. And so they, you know, y'all know how it is if you've had children. They rush everything in. If you're a visitor, they kick you out. And so my family and friends, they waited in this room that shared the same wall as ours. And so we were in there, and um, it, was, it was like a normal, normal birth, you know. She was, uh, what do you call it, the epidural when you don't feel it? She had that, so she... She didn't feel the pains of it, but she, she still pushed that baby out and very all the same amount of force that she had to push any other child out with. So it was very much a real delivery. And I remember, y'all, I remember, I remember, I remember. As soon as that baby came out, I remember, I know what fear feels like because I felt fear like I've never felt it before. It was as if Satan was in my ear saying, I bet you you don't believe it now. Because here he is. He dead. Now what you going to do? And I remember, I remember in my heart, I cowered. I remember. I was holding the baby. And the enemy's just saying this to me. And I was just, you know, just 
my faith wasn't the same as it was coming into that into that room. I'm gonna be honest with you, it wasn't. And then all of a sudden, something on the inside of me said, God can and God will. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or think. And so to hear my friends and family tell me, they said, man, it was real quiet. And all of a sudden, we just heard you worshiping and praying super loud. I know I scared the medical staff half to death because it was sudden. It was almost like how I am right now. And I remember I was just singing to Grayson. I was singing these words, this song. I was singing, just for me, just for me. Jesus came and did it just for me. Oh, just for me, just for me. And then in that moment, the peace of God came in the room. The presence of God preceded it. And some broke on the inside of me. And all of a sudden, I began to very boldly and loudly and with much authority declare what the word of God said. Very loudly. Very loudly. With authority. Why with authority? Because I believe it. With authority. See, if I, if, I, if I call your child to me, if you have a toddler, and I call him to me, and I say, come here. Hey, come here. He may or may not, he or she may or may not respond. But if it's my child, I can say, hey, come here, come here, because they recognize my authority. But see, fear doesn't always recognize your authority at first. So when I say to my son, get over here, I wouldn't talk to him like that. But when I say with some oomph to my voice, hey, get over here now. Yes, sir. He, and, he, and he comes along. And, that, and that's, how, that's how I had to do in that situation. I had to rebuke fear out of that place. I even remember at one point looking to all the people because here's what our belief was. He might have came out of my wife with his heart not beating, but we're going to go home with the baby. That was our belief. And I remember at one point telling everybody in the room, look, if you don't believe what we believe in for, get out. I remember when we got there and the nurse was going through the the checklist, she was just doing a job, bless her heart. She was just going through the checklist of, hey, here's what to expect. And I said, hey, can you not talk like that? Because here's what we're choosing to believe. And she went and told every other hospital staff that came in contact with us, hey, watch your words when you go in that room. See, when you have faith that God is with you and you know that the presence of God has gone with you and before you, you can talk like that and people will respond. And I wasn't being mean. My wife would tell you, I wasn't being rude. I was just saying, here's what I'm believing for. And if you're going to bring in negativity, if you're going to bring in doubt, if you're going to bring in fear, anything that's going to contaminate this atmosphere that we've been creating all week, please leave. And every nurse that came in there, they made sure the first thing they said, hey, we're believing with you. We're ready. <laughs> Don't kick me out, Mr. Davis. We're believing with you. And you know what? So and here's, here's the skinny of it, folks. Sometimes things that you're believing God for, it does not happen the way you're believing it to happen. Because you only see two of my children here with me in the natural. But if the Bible says, but if we have hope in this world only, then we are men most miserable. So I believe I'm going to see my son again. Just like some of you believe you're going to see your children again and your spouses and your mothers and your fathers. See, what the enemy wants to do is he wants you to give up before it's time. There's nothing that you're going through right now that hails in comparison to what life is going to be like when you're in your father's arms. 
So don't, don't quit just short. Because God may be about to enter your situation with power. Or I know some people who fall away from the faith because it didn't pan out the way they wanted it to. And they've fallen away from God. And so they don't, they've lost their hope and they don't get to see what we're going to see one day. <laughs>